The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. I'm here with my special guest host, again today, Spiritual Rebel, and if rumors are correct, quite potentially, the Secret Borg Queen. Also known as Sarah Bowen, Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Jim. Secret Borg Queen, that is quite a title. I think it is too, and I, I wonder does she have a desk with that on her, you know, on the desk with the little monogram stuff and everything? Well, it's interesting because I did mention the Borg when I wrote Spiritual Rebel at one point, And I had some people on the book tour who were like, what is that? And so it's surprising to me how many people don't know the awesomeness of the Borg. Well, you know, they are a classic Star Trek next gen villain um, and featured in Picard as well. I'm not giving anything away with that, but I don't think so. I I just started watching Picard and it's in the opening scene. You see the Borg cube. So I think that we didn't do a spoiler alert, but perhaps we got some more people to watch Picard. Oh, there you go. Find out what the Borg is. All right. So I have another question for you. Have you have you watched The Good Place? Have we talked about that? You know, I watched the first couple uh seasons of it but i have not watched the big ending which everyone's talking about is that where you were gonna go yes it is awesome the whole show is i think hilarious and profound at the same time it's really cool and the ending you know i was in tears you know because it was so wonderful you'll love it well i think maybe that's next up on my quarantine playlist I think it should be. I think yeah. it should be. You've, I've already gotten you into Firefly, so that's. I feel accomplished at that. Well, and I love things that have to deal with, you know, what is life and what is reality and what is our perspective on things. And all of all of these shows kind of have a piece of that. Like, what if we look at a different perspective? You know, you are very much about perspective. What is it with you on that? <laughs> you know, I've never been able to find one truth. It seems slippery. So I like perspective, and I think that's why I like reading so many books and watching so many shows to see other people's views. I agree with you. I mean, that's that's where we, we dive into the mystery. Exactly. 
All right. Are you ready for dueling inspirational quotes? I am, and I admit I cheated a little bit today. Oh, I oh did. Gosh. Oh my gosh. I've, be I've become too comfortable with you, Jim. I'm already, I'm already <laughs> pushing the boundaries of this. All right, go for it. Okay. So I admit this is something that was in my book that I quoted from someone else. Okay, so you may have already read it. I'm but sure. Let's, let's see if you remember who it is. Okay. Truth is broadcasting 24-7, but most of the time, we're too busy listening to the static of our lives to tune in. Ooh, I like that. I said that. Didn't I say that? Oh, uh, no, not, no, you didn't, Jim. Oh, but, my gosh. My <laughs> memory you is say it now. <laughs> no, this is Victoria Price. Is it? It is. Well, just coincidentally, Victoria Price is our guest today. I know. That's why I chose it. A little bit of a cheat and a little bit of a spoiler alert. But I just love this, especially now that we're all experiencing a lot of quiet and perhaps tuning in to some different things. I thought it was appropriate today. Very, very appropriate. Very appropriate. Well, we'll have to, uh, we're definitely going to dive in with her a little bit later. But first, here's mine. I realize there is a divine presence at the center of my being. I let this recognition flow down to the very depths of my being. Every thought and condition contrary to the divine perfection is eliminated. I rejoice in this realization. Venture a guess? Well, it sounds a bit like Ernie or someone who's read Ernie. It is Ernie it Holmes. It is. <laughs> that was a good one, Jim. You, you've got your spiritual uh, spiritual people down. I mean, quoting here and there, you're just crazy. Well, you know, I'm a book addict with a little bit of that Sundoku. Have you heard of the Sundoku? Is this different from Sudoku? It's different. What is it? It's buying lots of books, stacking them up, and not reading them. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am apparently guilty of this. Is there a 12-step program of some sort? There should be. I think I'm going to start one. I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to jump into the episode? I am. I am so excited to talk to Victoria today. This is going to be awesome. Ed Biagioti joins us with a segment. Hello, everyone. It is Edward Biagioti, and I am so happy to be back talking to you again uh, today. I am going to be talking just a little bit about the values of a positive attitude and more specifically the healing power of joy, which is the name of a chapter in Jesus Christ Heals, which is a book by Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore. And in this chapter, he says, when men think or women, when men or women think a great deal about spiritual things and especially about God as an indwelling spiritual presence. Both mind and body are thrilled with joy, a feeling of satisfaction and a tendency to break out in songs of gladness. This is not confined to Christians. Persons everywhere in every age have told of an inner glory and happiness when they got into the habit of concentrating their mind on God. The great philosopher Spinoza wrote so much about God that he was known as the God-intoxicated man. He also says that one of the most direct and effective shatterers of fear is laughter. Laugh your fears away. See how ridiculous they are when traced to their source. And I love this because 
it just reminds me that joy is our natural state. And our job is to practice these practices like meditation, inspired reading, affirmative prayer, these things that really allow the joy which is natural to us to bubble up from within. When we do that, all manner of good starts to happen in our lives. Our, our affairs, things going on, rearrange themselves. Our, our relationships just get better naturally. It's not about willfulness so much as willingness. I mean, it's the use of the will, the use of the will to redirect our mind into the stream of joy so that everything else can take care of itself. And he talks about how laughing shatters fear. And I've definitely found that to be true. We had a guest on our show, which is Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, which is also on Unity Online Radio. We had a guest by the name of Siri Gopal, a.k.a. The Laughing Yogi. And he taught us that we can choose to laugh. We don't have to wait for something funny. In fact, he taught us a great trick if you're ever feeling stifled or stressed out, you're in a grocery store or you're in Starbucks or you're somewhere where you don't feel comfortable just cocking your head back and laughing. Pick up your cell phone and make pretend you're talking to someone and start laughing as if they're telling you the funniest thing you've ever heard. Just that act of laughing frees the spirit. It loosens up the soul. It loosens up those ideas. I, I heard actually today that the root of the word solution really comes from a word that has to do with loosening up. So uh, when we loosen up, we realize that it's us, it's our stress, it's our fears, it's our doubts and our worries that are restricting the natural flow of kindness, of health, of happiness, of prosperity, of harmonious relationships. And I've had it happen so many times. If I can do, when I'm just driving, if I'll just cock my head back and start laughing at myself, for being so worried, for being so uptight, for so, being so stressed out. It's so, such a relief to realize that I was the one who was projecting, projecting those fears all along. When I do that, the whole world gets better. Then I'm actually able to pass that on to other people because I've blessed myself first, because I've taken care of my own mind first. And actually in a book called Celebrate Yourself by Eric Butterworth, another Unity author, He's in his, he has a writing in here called Be a Center of Love. And he says, As far as you are concerned, the great need is to change your consciousness, dissolve your prejudices, and heal your fears. The truth is for you. It is a practical process by which you can achieve an effective life at this, and at the same time become an effective instrument of love and harmony. He says, Become a center of love. You will become a positive influence in your community. He says, You can become a center of love. Enough centers of love in the, in the city and around the nation will help to evoke wise actions by our government and bring the unified support of the people. Enough centers of love around the world will build bridges of communication and peace. Love is the answer. Everywhere you look, you're going to find out that the end game with spiritual practices is joy. All the masters have said it. All the masters were described as joyful. In fact, early Christians I was. I recently heard that early Christians were known as hilaris, which means the cheerful ones. So hopefully, this stuff leads us all to become cheerful ones. Again, my name is Edward Biagioti. You can check out Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. And it's so nice to be with you.
Now here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi friends, it's Martha Creek, MarthaCreek.com. I'm doing a series on Beatitudes, just little snippets here. This is Beatitude 3 today, and it's offered from the perspective of, of likely a new perspective for many of you that study the teachings, and I invite you to listen open-heartedly to that. Number three in the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's how it's most commonly translated. Other translations I found over the years include, Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the gentle. And my favorite one of all the translations are, Blessed are the gentled. Blessed are the gentled. So remember of the passage from the little prince when the fox asked them to tame something, what does that mean? And the prince replied, it means to form bonds. If I tame you, I become responsible for you. Then you depend on me because I have tamed you. So that's the ballpark this beatitude I think is pointing to. Blessed are the ones who have become spiritually domesticated. Those of us that have learned to tame our wild animal nature, our wild animal regressive animalistic reptilian mind, and to, to run that energy different in us so it doesn't take over. So the passions and the compulsions of this lower nature of us have been brought into some kind of uh, domestication. So only when we have dealt directly with these animal instincts that we're wired for, that we all of us have, nobody's immune from it, only when we have dealt directly with our animal instincts and the subs subsequent pervasive sense of fear, panic, um, scarcity, uh, tantruming, I want, I need, we should, we shouldn't, I don't like that, I don't want that, I won't have that, that better not happen again. Um, those kinds of um, tantruming, egoic, uh, animalistic, regressive patterns, only, only, when they're not so pervasive, are we truly able to inherit, to inherit the earth and a new earth. Um, and... If we see it as in the Gospel of Thomas, it's referred to as devouring the lion. Because it's like we either devour the lion or otherwise the lion will devour us. And now it's time for our interview. Victoria Price brings her unique story to the national and international stage as an author, inspirational speaker, blogger, consultant, coach, and interspiritual minister. Following in her father's footsteps, Victoria has become a popular speaker on a wide range of inspirational topics, as well as the, the life of her famous father, Vincent Price. Victoria writes the popular blog, Daily Practice of Joy, and is the author of three books, including her latest, Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. In 2016, after living in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a quarter of a century, that sounds like a long time, Victoria, <laughs> Victoria began a nomadic life. Four years later, she remains intentionally home-free and still lives on the road with her dog, Allie. Welcome, Victoria. It's so great to have you on. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, um, you know, there's so much to talk with you about, and uh, these are certainly interesting times. I'm curious about your nomadic life. Have you been able to settle down for a bit because of the whole virus situation? I have. Uh, it was a really fortuitous thing. I was in between gigs, and I had about, I don't know, 14 days in between gigs, and the direction of my next gig was uh, I, I don't want to say it out loud, a state I'm not particularly fond of, so I didn't really want to go there. And I was trying to figure out where to go, and I kind of made a reservation here and thought maybe here, and something just kept saying to me, keep looking, keep looking. And all of a sudden, this little cottage in the mountains of Western North Carolina, which is not on my way, popped up and just my heart sang. And I thought, oh, that's it, that's perfect. And I got here and then the world shut down and he had other reservations after me. I only had 11 days booked, but obviously his reservations canceled and all of my gigs for the next four months canceled. And we both looked at each other and thought, wow, what do we do? And he opened his home to me for almost four months at a price I could afford. And uh, I, because a lot of Airbnb hosts are really struggling, I'm helping him pay his bills by being here and it's just the perfect place. So I just, my mother always used to say, whatever blesses one blesses all. And in this case, that has been so true. Wow. That's awesome. And you came from it from a heart centered, uh, heart centered place. And, you know, I want to get into the heart of your book and that is your heart centered practice. I guess I'm wondering, what does that mean exactly? What it means to me is that we're born in our hearts. We're born responding from our hearts. Look at little kids. You know, you, you wave at a little kid and their face lights up with joy. And there's just this connection to their hearts and to love and to joy. And then it gets trained out of us. Slowly but surely over time, we're taught to listen to our heads. We learn all kinds of facts in school that we are never going to need to know. We learn what is cool to wear and cool to listen to and cool to do. We learn that we should have this job or should do that with our lives. And all of a sudden, we stop listening to our hearts and we begin listening to our heads. And when we do that, we begin to train ourselves into believing that life is a series of problems that need to get solved or fixed. And that is the beginning of the end, as far as I'm concerned. All of a sudden, we're choosing fear instead of choosing love. And we've lost that heart connection that connects us to, to love, love with the big L. And so we get to this point in our life where if we want that back, we have to practice it. It's like, no great musician is going to think that they're going to be able to, no even competent musician is going to think that they can play the guitar without just practicing every day. And you're not going to be able to shoot a basketball if you don't shoot basketballs every day. So how do we get back into our hearts? We create heart-centered practices that reconnect us with our hearts and get us out of the habits of our heads. We talk about joy as being a place to get to. And, you know, I, I'm wondering what kinds of things bring you to joy and, and, you know, how do we get there? Well, I think joy, for me at least, and I think it is for a lot of people, is a conduit out of our head. It sort of bypasses our habits of thought 
and just clicks us down into our hearts. And I certainly felt that. I grew up in, in a very joy-filled household with a lot of humor. And, uh, and then I became this miserable workaholic who lost her joy. And so I really needed to get that joy back. And it came to me, this directive, very loud and clear, create a daily practice of joy. And I was like, great, that sounds awesome. How do I do that? And so I looked up the meaning of the word joy. And I saw this definition that just kind of like this little cottage I'm in right now made my heart sing. Joy is the pure and simple delight in being alive. And I thought, oh, yes, that's what I used to feel as a kid. That's what I felt around my dad. That's what I want again. And so I began to practice it. And how did I practice it? I kind of went back to childhood. So I did all those things that brought me joy when I was a kid. I stopped and smelled the roses, literally. I jumped in puddles. I played with my dog. I binge watched I Love Lucy episodes. Anything that got me out of the problem-solving mentality of my head and into this connection with my heart. And that was huge for me. And it was my first heart-centered practice. It was transformative. But, you know, you mentioned I Love Lucy, and that to me is still one of the places that I get a lot of joy. In fact, here's a hidden secret. I actually watch, uh, almost every night I watch an episode of I Love Lucy because it gives me so joy and it just calms me and lets me, you know, just bliss, bliss out a little bit. And, right? And, uh, yeah. Well, and, and that's why, you know, people have this idea, oh, spiritual practice, we're going to sit on a mountaintop and we're going to starve ourselves and be ascetics. And yeah, you know, there is a certain amount of renunciation of all these false ideas of self that we have to give up. But ultimately, at the end of the day, many of those false ideas of ourselves are actually not not our favorite things. And nobody's ever going to ask you to give up I Love Lucy episodes if they bring you joy, because it's really about what gets us out of our heads. And, you know, I could watch a Vitamin of Vegemin or that chocolate episode, and I just laugh <laughs> beginning to end every single time, and I know what's going to happen. And that's joy. Joy gets us out of our heads. So you, you talked about, uh, in the book, you talk about how you um, had to get from a place to, to answering your spiritual journey about the question, where is love? And can you talk a little bit about that? I start this book by telling this story of going to see Oliver with my parents and the, the movie. And when Oliver is in the basement all alone, singing, where is love, dreaming of his mother, and will he ever find love? I just, you know, I grew up in a very privileged household and with parents who loved me and wanted me, but there was something about the that song that just got to me. And all of a sudden, you know, it was like I understood that that song was not only the impetus for everything that happened in the movie, but it's kind of the impetus that for everything that's happening in all of our lives. We all want to feel love and be loved and give love. And, and I felt very loved, except I also was the kid of very absent parents. They were workaholics themselves. They were constantly traveling the world. And so there was a little bit of a feast or famine mentality of being with my dad, who was this incredibly joy-filled person and feeling so connected and full of joy and then waiting for him to come home. And my mother, who loved me very much, was also extremely strict. And so sometimes her love came in the form of discipline, which didn't always feel like love. And, you know, 
retrospect, I'm very grateful for it. But at the time, you know, I would right. rather done what I wanted to do. So, sure. so you know, I, I was constantly trying to figure out, like, where is love? What is love? How do I find it? How do we find it? And what I finally understood as, as a grown-up and as an older grown-up was that love is in us. Love is around us. Love is everything. And it's like we've stopped listening to the station. It's playing and we're tuned into the problem station. We're tuned into the fear station. We're tuned into the addiction station. We're tuned into the distraction station. And we've stopped tuning into love. And so the heart center practice is the answer to me of where love is. Because when I'm in heart-centered practice, what's actually happening is I'm living as if I'm that loved and loving and connected and joy-filled person I know myself to be inside but can't seem to access. So for 20 minutes a day when I'm in heart-centered practice, I am living that love that I'm looking for. And that becomes a habit. The other day I saw a video of Roger Federer hitting volleys against a wall and he sort of challenged people all over the world to do this. Now, I used to play tennis a lot. I don't play it anymore. If I found a tennis racket and found a wall and tried to do what Roger Federer was doing, A, I'm not the greatest of all time, and B, I haven't lifted a tennis racket up in five, six years. Right. And, and But eventually it would start to come back. But I would know that I would have to keep trying it to have it come back. And that's really what heart Center practice does. It gets us back to love. And acting as if is a, a way you suggest as living in that field of love. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's actually what heart centered practice is. It, it's acting as if, in other words, if, if I said to myself, okay, now you need to give yourself permission to do something joyful. So, okay, let's, uh, how about, you know, I love Lucy episodes. Okay. What are those going to do for you? Well, you know, at minute 20, there's usually, you know, some embarrassing moment that, you, you know, like I could talk myself right out of it or I could turn I love Lucy on and 10 minutes into it, have this big smile on my face, be laughing and realize when I turned it off that I was completely in my heart. There's this sense that spiritual practice and spirituality are the same things. They're not. Spiritual practice is what clears the decks and cleans the windows and unclogs the pipes so that the sunshine of love can come through, so that the clear, beautiful water of love can come through. We do what we need to do in our practice to become the windows or the pipes or the song where love can come through us. Spirituality isn't practice, but practice clears the way for spirituality to manifest in our lives. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll be right back with Victoria Price on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. 
We're back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio, and we're talking with Victoria Price. So I know you and Sarah have some things in common, and uh, I, I thought you guys might want to talk about that a little bit. We yeah, do. <laughs> That's right. We're both in the same lineage of uh, interfaith, inner spirituality, aren't we, Victoria? We are, and we have some dear mutual friends, I think. It, and I was I was thinking it's interesting in the last segment how you pulled in the idea of what we tune into because Jim and I at the beginning of this segment actually talked about a quote from one of your prior books um, and I wonder if you might remember this one it was very uh, something I use with students all the time I think it's fabulous truth is broadcasting 24 7 but most of the time we're too busy listening to the static of our busy lives to tune in. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and we're so busy listening to that static that we start to think that that static is real. And I think what's happening right now during this time is proof in the pudding of that. You know, we sort of came to accept that life is busy, that the world is polluted, that people are not necessarily kind to one another, that these economies that are destroying lives and ecosystems are the norm. And all of a sudden, we get pulled back from our busy lives. And we realize that's not the truth of all this at all. And the skies are clearing and people can see the Himalayas and you can see into the water and the birds are literally singing for joy. And all of a sudden, we're going, wait, wait, what have we been tuning into here? I love that. I think one of the practices in the book um, that really called to me was this practice of an unknowing. And I know since we have kind of similar lineages, that idea of the cloud of unknowing or, or the piece of mystery. Could you, can I jump in, Jim, and go to the end of the book and have her talk about unknowing a little bit? Of course. Well, you know, unknowing is saving my bacon right now because all we're hearing right now from people is what's going to happen? Do you think this is going to happen? Are they going to let, you know, people out all at once? Or what if our country comes out, but it comes back in another country or it comes back later? Or what if they do the wrong thing? There's just this mass of unknowing and there's a lot of anxiety around it. And when I first started this journey, I, uh, I had dinner with some friends and this guy who was a, who I only met once, who was a, movie location scout. And he told me about uh, perfect words for every place he visited. And it was inspired by T.E. Lawrence. And uh, I was thinking as I was driving home that night, as my life was falling apart, and I was realizing I was going to become intentionally, but not necessarily willingly at that point, homeless. I, I was like, wow, those three words, that's so cool. And then all of a sudden I thought, I have three words right now. My three words are, I don't know, because literally <laughs> every question anyone asked me was like, so you're going to be homeless? What, what does that look like? I don't know. Well, are you going to come back here? I, I don't know. Well, how are you going to support yourself? Um, I don't know. Well, will you go back to doing this that you, I, I don't know. I mean, literally that was the only, those were the only three words that I knew how to say. And when I hit the road, I realized that 
every time I tried to know and have a plan, it always backfired. I would think, oh, I'm going to drive here and get here by this time, or I'm going to book this and go there, or I think I need to be here and do that. And it was constantly clear to me that that plan, I had no clue. I didn't know. And so for four years, I've been practicing not knowing. And what I realized is that not knowing, none of us know, you know, none of us know, you know, we can say we've lived in the same house for 25 years and every single year in April, uh, that tree turns that color around that time. It's my birthday, whatever. And yet this year it might not do that. I mean, things we just feel like we know for sure. And so when we claim that kind of knowing we're keeping ourselves in our heads and out of that mystery. And that mystery, I'm convinced, is what I just described of that just radio broadcast of love that is constantly, constantly guiding us that we're not tuned into. By trying to know, we're not hearing what we actually need to know. And I think the coolest part is this, and this is what I've learned, that what we don't know now seems to be terrifying to us. But if you really think about it, what we don't know now is what is also going to heal this time. If we let what we don't know come in through love and not be forced into existence through fear. So we have to invite what we don't know to lead us back into our hearts and to listen to love. Very good. Very good. Um, so I'd like to dive into the four components of a heart-centered practice so we could get a little bit more of an understanding. And from what, you know, your book, it says daily, deliberate, conscious, and committed. Um, can you talk through those a little bit for me? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, the sort of the basic idea came from, I took I, I taught myself how to play, play guitar many, many years ago. And then I thought, well, I'm self-taught. I should learn how to play guitar. So I went to this guitar teacher and um, <laughs> I really didn't stick with it because I realized that I liked sort of doing it my own idiosyncratic way. But he, I think I went to him because he gave me this gift. He said, uh, to change a habit takes 30 days. And he said, especially if it's a physical habit, you're changing a habit through changing muscle memory. And while I, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, I believe in 30 days versus 28 or 52 or whatever, the, the idea was that habits become so ingrained in us that we can't see them. And so we can't just think, oh my God, I finally recognize that I have that habit. I'm going to let that go. We actually have to replace that habit with another habit. And that's where the daily deliberate conscious and committed comes in because we have to show up to our hearts, in our hearts, as our hearts in a daily deliberate conscious and committed way every single day to break the habit of listening to our heads, doing our should list. Should, I am convinced, is actually misspelled. It's actually a four-letter word in disguise because we're constantly shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, we, we just are constantly problem solving, constantly looking at life from a place of what's wrong or a place of lack. And so the practice, the daily deliberate conscious and committed practice of centering in our hearts is actually the antidote to that because you can't think yourself out of an issue. You actually have to practice yourself out of an issue or 
really actually, let me correct that, not out of an issue, into love. If you focus on what you're practicing yourself out of, you're actually still focused on what's wrong. Talk about deliberate. What do you mean by deliberate? Well, I think that there's a difference between, well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking a lot about uh, how I cut corners. This year, my, my meta practice for the whole year was the practice of presence. And I decided each month I would listen to what the next practice needed to be. So January was presence. I was working on a ton of projects for clients and I realized I was working nonstop 18 hours a day. So I, February was pause. That didn't go so well, but I still deliberately tried to pause every single day. Um, March was seeing through the eyes of love where I paused, took a photograph and looked deeply at what I was seeing. And this month is being, just being, you know? And so I literally deliberately show up to that practice every day and then deliberately blog about it the next day. And so it's already percolating up what the next practice is going to be for next month because what I realize that I'm seeing because I'm just sitting here like everyone else is other than working and walking, I'm seeing that I cut corners all the time and I couldn't see it. I just cut a little corner here and a little corner there. And I sort of sweep that under the rug and, oh my God, there's 3000 dust bunnies over there, but I just won't go in that part of the room. <laughs> and so I'm just going to like pretend it's not there. And, you know, my dog's growling in it when she goes by, but I'm, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. And so what deliberate is, is it doesn't let us off the hook from showing up to our hearts. So it means that, you know, just as a, a conscious, a sort of funny example uh, I, uh, where I'm staying, it goes from hot to cold, hot to cold, hot to cold. So I decided to just keep the house cold, but I tend to run cold. And so when my feet start to turn to blocks of ice, I go and sit outside in the sun very deliberately on purpose for 20 minutes to stop working and to warm up. That's what we have to do in our hearts. We have to that consciously choose to behave differently to act differently and to be in our hearts and it's a it's a game changer so you talk about consciousness and being conscious as one of the components what does that mean to you <laughs> well I don't think many of us realize how much of our lives we go through on autopilot you know so many things that we do we don't even notice we're on autopilot unless something's out of the norm. And to give a very mundane example, uh, stair treads. Stair treads have uniform sizes for a reason because we literally go up and down stair treads on autopilot. And there's a margin in there that we're comfortable with. But then if, if we hit a series of stairs that are different, we're really thrown off. I remember I stayed in this apartment building in Madrid and the stair treads were so off that, and I was surprised every single time, every single time I went up and down, I went to the groceries, I went, changed my clothes before dinner. Every single time I was like, whoa, what's with the stair treads? And that's kind of how we are in life. You know, there's just so much we do without thinking. I drive 22,000 miles a year. Uh, which wow. I need to look at to lower my, yeah, to, and that's wow. just in my own car, not, not in 
rental cars and vans on the tours I lead, you know, right. so, and I need to lower that carbon footprint, having a big sort of come to Jesus with myself about that. But, um, but long story short, you know, I know there are just huge stretches of road where I am not there because that's how we go through life. And so when living in our heads and our heads tend to be problem solving, lack based and fear filled, when we are in our heads, we are not in our hearts and we spend much more time in our heads than our hearts. So the conscious part of it is, is practicing getting back to what is our actual language. Our language is love, but we've forgotten that. And so that's the conscious part of becoming aware of just how little we, time we spend in our hearts and then consciously choosing to practice making that the norm. And so that one day when we're, you know, much more comfortable and just present to living in love, when we hit an uneven stair tread called fear, that's going to surprise us instead of vice versa. And then committed, I assume, is, is committing to continuing this practice. But what do you mean by committed? Yeah, well, it's sort of back to my guitar teacher. You know, you can't say, ah, I did it for three days. That's good. Good, good to go. Um, and also, it's about commitment to ourselves because, you know, anybody who has struggled to change something in their lives, usually the issue is they can't keep their commitment to themselves. Uh, and, you know, I have a friend who has had a sort of a lifelong um, issue around food. And she made a radical, radical shift last year. And what's so interesting is that that shift she made around food was really the, the commitment she made to change was less about changing the food, although she did. It was changing her thoughts around food, her behavior around food, the way she cheated or lied to herself around food. And having changed that, she is a completely different person. Her reactions to things, her, her, her anxiety around things, her joy in things, they're completely different. And that's because she committed to showing up to her heart and not thinking that her heart was, you know, the way to her heart was the refrigerator. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that sounds so much like also what fuels our 12 step movements. Right. Right? Absolutely. Which is a very kind of heart-centered um, type of practice as well. Yes, oh, you also, absolutely. You also, um, I was thinking about that in relation to animals. I know you have a co-minister. I do. I right? do. I do. She's, do you do any of these practices with your co-minister? Oh, all the time. So my co-minister, she's about 25 pounds. She's very fluffy. She has a tail and four legs. And, and a dog, I might add. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might add she's a dog. <laughs> she's Allie. And boy, does she make my life so much easier because she is like the love ambassador. I actually call her my love ambassador dog. Uh, she just wants to meet everyone, wants to give them love. If people look at her like you know i don't i don't really like dogs she literally looks at them like what is wrong with you <laughs> i'm just here expressing love but 9 out of 10 people their face and their whole sort of presence just melts and when i'm on the road and you know you can't 
know where you're going to end up or what the people are going to be like anywhere. And she just breaks down barriers. And I think she does that because she's pure love on, you know, on fluffy white legs with a tail. And I think that's what we all need to be. So she models love for me every single day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now you say that uh, in the book, you say that healing doesn't come from change. Change, change comes from healing. What do you mean? Well, I think that often we see this problem that we have, right? And we think, okay, so if I can uh, lose weight, then I, you know, my body's going to feel better. I'm going to feel better about myself. People are going to like me better. I'm going to be able to be active. I'll be able to do the things that I want to do. And so we think if I change the behavior, then the healing of all these problems in my life is going to happen by changing this behavior. But what happens is then we're focused on the problem, focused on the lack, focused on the fear that we won't change. And so the reverse um, change comes from healing. When we begin to create heart-centered practices that get us out of the focus on lack, that get us out of the fear that we will never be able to change, that get us out of the belief that we've been like this for 40 years and why bother now? And we literally show up to our hearts and reconnect with love with the big L, which is what does the healing? It's not us that's doing the healing. It's a love that does the healing. All of a sudden, some of the things that we just were so convinced were who we are start to slide away. And then other things begin to happen that we didn't think were possible. That the, you know, the thing that I just described with my friend, you know, I'll, I'll look at her and I'll say, wow, you know, I was up here with my shoulders up over my ears expecting you to react a certain way. And you're so different now because you loved yourself enough to commit to doing this. And when you did that and reconnected with your heart, you turned all of that belief system around food over to your higher power. And when you did that, your higher power came in and ran the show. And that then trickles out and changes everything. It's just what I described with Allie. You know, Allie is out there just literally emanating love. Well, when we stop being fear-based and problem-based and worry-based and planning and shooting, then we start to emanate love. And that just changes. It's a game changer. Wow. Now, I love, I love your mantra based on Mary Oliver's work that you mentioned in the book. Pay attention, be astonished tell about it. I Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, that really came to me. I'm a, obviously, a, as I think any sentient being on the planet should be, a huge Mary Oliver fan, but I'm also a big, big poetry fan. My dad uh, wrote poetry and read poetry. He was a beautiful speaker of verse. And uh, when I was a little kid, I got um, 25 cents allowance, but my dad paid me a dollar for every poem I memorized. So oh, neat. A, yeah, totally <laughs> mercenary sweet. child. Right. So I memorized a lot of poetry and that really, you know, he, it, again, that was a heart center practice. He loved poetry so much. And he thought, well, how can I get her to see um, the beauty of poetry and it poetry, when you speak it, it just bypasses your head and goes into your heart and, and you just, I fell in love with it. And so um, 
poetry has often been one of my just deepest spiritual practices. And this is just a very simple poem. It's called Instructions for Living Life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And when I read that, I thought, oh my God, that's how my dad lived his life. He felt so fortunate in his life that he he was curious about everything, interested in everyone, always learning. He was constantly paying attention. He was a astonished by the good fortune that he had to live this extraordinary life that he had. And so his way of giving back was to tell about the things that brought him joy, to tell other people, give other people permission to do the things that they didn't believe they could do. And so that's how my dad lived his life. He paid attention, was astonished and told about it. And so I realized that that really is how I wanted to live my life, to not go through any day where I felt like I just had no clue what happened, to not go through any day where I wasn't astonished and filled with gratitude, and to not share what I'm learning on this planet with others so that we can all learn together. So that's how it became my mantra. How can we contribute to a more heart-centered world that's a little question. I know that's a little question. <laughs> yeah, just a little one. Just a just, minor question. Well, actually, you know, here's the thing. What would you be like if you went to bed without watching I Love Lucy? You, you literally, you went to bed, you bypassed the I Love Lucy, and the person you were before I Love Lucy got into bed. Would you feel like a different person? I would. I would. I might be a little grumpier. Right. So would you call watching I Love Lucy Before Bed a heart-centered practice? You know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, I would. So by doing that, it transforms and shifts something in you and allows you to go to bed as a different person, right? That's literally how we change the world. It's all this ripple effect. So each thing that we do, and it can be as simple as literally smelling the flowers or jumping in puddles or taking an extra five minutes on the phone to really listen to someone or calling someone up who you know is having a hard day and just saying, I'm here and I love you and do you need anything from me? It can be walking by somebody and just smiling. It can be talking to a customer service person and thanking them three times instead of being cranky as many of us are. I, I heard this story a long time ago and it may be apocryphal. It may not be, but it was uh, somebody came in to, uh, they'd made this hair appointment and they came in to get their hair cut. And they seemed very uh, particular about what they wanted. They just really needed it to be perfect. And so as the hairdresser was working on it, the hairdresser did what the hairdresser always does, which was just talk. And they began talking and they talked about, you know, each other and life. And the hairdresser just listened and they really connected. And when the woman left, she said, thank you. Thank you so much. And the hairdresser said, sure, of course, because the hairdresser did what the hairdresser always does. Uh, he cut hair and he listened and he really saw and spoke to this woman. And a week later, he got an uh, email from this woman and he, he said, in the email said, thank you. I came in to get my hair done because I was going to go home that day and kill myself but you saw me and you heard me and you paid attention to me. And when I left, 
I didn't feel like killing myself any longer. That It's that simple. You know, we just have to show up to one another from our hearts. Um, Sarah and I, you know, Diane Burke, who uh, started One Spirit, she tells this story about um, somebody who was on a beach and all these starfish had walked up on, washed up on the beach. And, you know, there were just literally thousands of them. And this person was taking them one by one and throwing them back into the ocean. And somebody walked up to him just completely overwhelmed by how many starfish there were. And they said, you know, I can't believe you're just going to stand there throwing all those starfish in. I mean, it's never going to work. What difference is going to make? And the man just kept leaning over, picking one up and throwing it back into the ocean. And he said, made a difference to that one. That's what we're doing when we show up in our hearts. Every time we show up in our hearts, it makes a difference. That's wonderful. Well, we've got about a minute left. And I'm in that minute, I'm going to ask you another uh, tiny question. And, oh, great. <laughs> and that is, is there, is there some additional advice you'd give our listeners as we deal with the whole virus and the, the quarantine and all that situation? You know, I think uh, just a very simple breathing practice that has really, really helped me, which is when you feel the anxiety of, about anything around this coming up, see if you can just find a minute to go stand in a corner or sit down and breathe in love into your heart. It may sound like a complete load of crap at the beginning, like, right, I'm completely anxious. What the hell are you talking about? How am I going to breathe in love? Breathe in love. Say the word, feel the word, and then breathe the love you feel in your heart back out and keep doing it. And your head is going to tell you this is nuts and it's not going to work. Focus on the word and how the word makes you feel and keep doing it. I found for me when I'm up in the middle of the night, it's been a game changer. And again, it's a practice. So keep Keep doing it. But this simple thing of breathing in love and breathing that love back out until all of a sudden you're so focused on the love that you forget the anxiety that brought you to the point of needing to do that breathing exercise. It's little, but it really helps. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on the show. Big Universe. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and uh, great to connect with both of you. I Thank think you, you. I think you and Sarah will have a lot to talk about. We will. <laughs> to find out more about Victoria Price, make sure you check out our website at victoriaprice.com. Uh, make sure you take a look at her book, Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. And I've got premium video courses on my website called youthrivehere.com. I also help people create video courses. Join me there, won't you? Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.